Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Take a moment. Consider this truth. The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Well, good morning and welcome again to Silverdale Baptist Church. If we've not met yet, my name's Maddie, and I have the great privilege of serving as a part of the team here on our Bonnie Oaks campus. And I just want to take a second to wish you a very happy new year. I don't know about you, but this morning feels kind of special to me, right? Like to be in church on January 1st just seems right. Like it just seems like we're setting up the rest of the year the right way, or maybe It's just me, but maybe I feel good because I've not had enough time to mess it up yet. You know what I mean? So like, I just feel good being in church. Like I I actually am okay to be here for once. Either way, I'm glad you're here with us this morning. My guess is that whether it was over the course of last week or the last couple hours, or maybe over the next couple of days, you're going to set a goal at some point. Whether that is a physical goal, a financial goal, a spiritual goal, most all of us will set some sort of goal. It's pretty much a given, right? We expect to have goals and renewed vigor at the beginning of the year. But what I've learned is that for pretty much anybody who calls themselves a Christ follower or a Christian, one of those goals will often include or, or be centered around something spiritual. For many of us, more specifically, it will center and focus on the Bible. Like maybe it will be to actually read the Bible this year. Maybe it will be to read more of the Bible this year. Maybe it will be to read a certain amount in a given time frame. For some of us, maybe it will be to do a Bible study or to memorize certain passages of Scripture. But for many of us who follow Jesus, we'll likely have a goal centered around the Bible. Now, even if we don't have a goal, which some of you may be like anti-resolution people and anti-goals and you're that person that's like, I don't need January 1st, I can start every day a new day or whatever. Like, listen, we applaud you, we appreciate you, we love you. For some of us, like me, I like the start of the year, I like to start new, I like to start fresh, and I am the guy that has all this renewed vigor at the beginning of the year. And what I would bet, though, is goal or no goal, you wouldn't disagree with me when I said it's probably a good idea to read the Bible. And it's probably a good idea for you to read more of the Bible, no matter how much you read, whether it's been a chapter or the whole thing over the last year, that it would be a good idea to read more of the Bible. But if I was to ask you why, or if you were to tell somebody at your office or in the gym that, hey, this is my my goal for the year, I'm gonna read the Bible in 52 weeks, or I'm gonna read the New Testament two times, or whatever it may be, If they said to you, why? Why are you gonna read the Bible? Do you have a good response? 
Do you know why? Like short of just looking at someone and saying, well, because it's God's word, or looking at someone saying, well, because that's what I'm supposed to do, why do you read the Bible? Do you have an answer that would communicate that the Bible's not just another book? For those of us who start reading plans and we get to February, March, and April, and we start to get a little bit tired and work starts to get busy and the passages seem to be getting longer and longer and longer, making less and less and less sense, do you understand you have a grasp of why you push through, of why you keep reading day after day? Listen, I'm, I'm a reader and I love to read. I read across all different kinds of genres, all different kinds of authors. One of my favorite things to read are biographies. Any biography fans in the room? Anyone like me? I love a biography. I love learning about people's lives. I love learning the backstory behind how they got to where they are. I love seeing behind the curtain, so to speak. I love reading about how they overcome different trials and different obstacles. I love reading about the difficulties that they had to overcome to get to where they were. One of my favorites is this. It's the Promised Land by Barack Obama. Now listen, set all politics aside for just a moment to read about a man who served as the President of the United States of America, who would walk from one room to the next, to meeting after meeting, making decisions that had both national and global implications. The weight that he wears, the weight that the president wears, to then walk down a hallway, in through another door, and to sit down and try to eat chicken nuggets and read a bedtime story with his kids was fascinating to me. I love to read books that are going to make me a better dad. I love to read books that will challenge me to be a better husband. I love to read books that will draw me closer to Jesus. I love history books. I love fiction books. I love non-fiction books. I love to read. And you don't have to look very far to find a million reasons that you should be reading, right? From quotes like, readers are leaders, right? Or things that... That articles that will tell you all the different benefits of being a reader that range from it improving your focus and your memory to reading reducing stress. So in a world that we live in, right, where new content, improved content is constantly being put in front of us, in a world where we can dive into anything at any given moment, in a world where we can lose ourselves in a fantasy world of nonfiction, why do we read the Bible? Why do we read a book that's thousands of years old? Why do we read a book that oftentimes we don't quite grasp or understand what it's saying anyway? Why revisit the same words, the same stories again and again and again? Why commit to spending time reading the Bible every day? And what I want to do this morning is take one passage and I want to give you a couple reasons whether you are six years old or 66 years old. A couple reasons why you should read the Bible first and foremost and why making that decision would be the best decision you could ever make. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And as you're turning there, let me give you a little context to what we're about to read. Right, the Apostle Paul 
who miraculously came to faith in Jesus and turned from this persecutor of the church, this persecutor of those who followed Jesus, to a foundational pillar in the church and Christianity, had traveled all over sharing the truth of Jesus. So much so that it had landed him in a Roman prison and he knew that it was just a matter of time before he was going to be executed by Nero. Look at the way he says this in 2 Timothy 4.6. It says this. Well, you're not reading that. It says, as for me, my life had already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. He knew that he was about to die. He knew that he was about to be executed. So as Paul sits in this Roman prison, he pens this letter to a young man named Timothy. Timothy had been a guy that he'd mentored, a guy that he discipled. Timothy was a young man that he believed in. A man that Paul believed was in many ways one of the next influential leaders of the church. You could say that this letter was Paul's way of handing the baton or or passing the torch. It was written to encourage Timothy. For all intents and purposes, these are the words of a dying man to his son in the faith. Some of you have been there. You've been on the receiving end of those last words of a dying person. You've held a loved one as they've said, whatever it may be. You've looked into the eyes of someone as they were fading away and they've told you, do this and do this and don't do that. Don't forget this. Make sure they know this. And you know that last words are lasting words. They have a deep impact. They have deep meaning to you. And these words would have had deep meaning to Timothy. He would have cherished these words. They would have been special to him. They would have carried maybe just a little more weight. And in the midst of that, Paul gives this charge to Timothy that revolves all around the Bible and why we should be reading it and studying. And that's what we're going to read today. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17 say this. Let's read it. It says, but as for you, Paul's talking to Timothy. Continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. One of the first things that we see is this. One of the first things Paul does for Timothy is he gives him a challenge. It's Paul's challenge. Paul issues this challenge, if you would. Look at it again, verses 14 through 15. It says this. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, with the Bible, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy lived in a world that was so similar to the world in which we live in today. He was bombarded with contradicting worldviews, false or incorrect teaching about who God is, about who Jesus is. Does that sound familiar? He faced the pressures of a growing ministry, one that was under constant persecution. And Paul was encouraging him to just keep moving forward, to remember what he'd learned and importantly, who he'd learned it from. Now, if you know anything about Paul, it's that he doesn't consider himself to be anything. Paul's not a prideful person. 
So I don't think he's necessarily saying in this passage, hey, don't forget who I am and how great I am and that I taught you what you know. I think based on the way Paul talks about himself in some other places, it's more likely that Paul's saying, hey, remember who I was. Remember how Jesus changed my life. And remember that I taught you everything that he did in my life. Remember that I was the man who tried to destroy the church. I wanted to destroy everything and anything that had anything to do with Jesus. It was me, the man who's been tortured and imprisoned for my now found faith. It was me whose life was radically changed by Jesus who taught you this. Remember, it was me, a sinner saved by grace who taught you this, Timothy. It was a man whose very life had been transformed by Jesus who taught you this. In an earlier letter to Timothy, Paul would say this in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul was saying, Timothy, remember how Jesus changed my life. It's me, a man changed by God that tells you these truths. Remember, it was me, a sinner saved by grace. But he continues, right? But it wasn't just Paul. He says, when you were a kid, it was your grandmother and your mom who laid the foundation of your faith by reading and teaching you the Bible. Parents, do you hear that? It was his mom and his grandmother who read him the Bible, who taught him the Bible. Paul would say this earlier in the letter. I'm not going to have you turn there, but he'd say this in 2 Timothy 1.5, that I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure it dwells in you. Paul's saying, Timothy, remember the lives that you've seen that have been changed. Remember the people who loved you and, and invested in you and spent time teaching you the truth of God's word. And then Paul goes on to give Timothy three reasons that he and three reasons that we should read the Bible. The first is this, that the Bible is God-breathed. The Bible is God-breathed. Look at verse 16 with me. All scripture is breathed out by God. And why is that important? What does that mean, you might say? It means that the Bible is not just a collection of stories. It's not just a history book. The Bible is not just a fable. The Bible is not just another book. Through the Holy Spirit, God revealed himself and his plan for his people to certain men who wrote it down. Yes, these men wrote in and from their personal, historical, and cultural context. But what they wrote was inspired and breathed out by God. Look how Peter wrote this in 2 Peter 1 verses 20 through 21. He says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture, no writing of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God spoke through men. All scripture was breathed out by God. It means that we should read all of it. Listen, I love the season that we are coming out of. I love Thanksgiving and Christmas, mostly because I love to eat. No surprises, I know. What I love about Thanksgiving and Christmas is we wake up in the morning, right? There's usually a little bit of a chill in the air. 
Sometimes we're in East Tennessee, sometimes it's like 75 degrees at 8 o'clock in the morning on Christmas and Thanksgiving. But anyway, some mornings there's this chill in the air, right? And usually before breakfast, at least in my house, there's like this smell of sage that starts meandering through the house early in the morning as my wife starts to get dinner ready. And we go throughout the day and there's football on or whatever, watching the Macy's Day Parade. Anyone else partake in the Macy's Day Parade? So listen, we love it. And then at some point, all the food comes out of the oven. And it all gets laid on the table through the kitchen. The smells wafting through the house. And, and my wife says, hey, Maddie, will you pray so we can start eating? And I'm like, yes, ma'am, I will. And I say this short, real quick prayer. Lord, bless the food in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone grabs a plate. And we start working our way through the kitchen. And what I love about Thanksgiving and Christmas is that I don't have to eat the good stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have to go to the greens and the green beans. Like, I get to skip all of that. And I get to go to the sweet potato casserole that has the marshmallows on top with a little bit of sugar. You know what I'm saying? And I get to go to the hash brown casserole or green bean casserole. Anything that says casserole, like, I'm there with the spoon. Get a couple slices of turkey, some mashed potatoes, some cranberry sauce. And I get to pick what I want and I get to eat as much of it as I want. And then after I've had seconds and sometimes thirds and maybe even sometimes fourth, I get to go get one of those little small plates, which I don't know why we do small plates, but you get to go get a little small plate and then you get to go walk through the dessert line. And I don't have to get the pumpkin pie, I can just get the chocolate pie and the pecan pie. And I don't have to just get one slice, I can get two slices or three slices or many slices as I want. The problem is, for many of us, we treat the Bible like a Thanksgiving dinner. And we want to walk through the Bible and we want to pick and choose the little bits that we like. And I don't want to read this. I'm just going to read that because that makes me feel good. I'm going to go to John 3.16 because I love when it talks about God so loving the world. And I want to turn to Romans, but not those hard passages that tell me about what to do with my sin. Just the parts that tell me that God works all things together for my good. And we like to skip and pick through the Bible like it's a Thanksgiving dinner. We want to read that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But we want to skip over the parts that convict us. We want to skip over the parts that call for change in our lives. We want to skip over the parts that say our lives are not our own, but they're to be lived for God. Paul is saying, Timothy, the Bible isn't a Thanksgiving dinner. We've got to read all of it because all of it is breathed out by God. And when God breathes into something, God gives it life. Read in Genesis 2-7. I want to show you this. Look what, what God says. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. When God breathes into something, he gives it life. Job says something similar. Job 33, 4 says this. The spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life. When God breathes into something, he gives it life. And then there's this incredible prophecy in Ezekiel. It says this. Thus says the Lord God to to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin. And I'll put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied, this is Ezekiel, so I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied there was a sound and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And he goes on, he says this, and I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. 
Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, Ezekiel. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they might live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. When God speaks, when God breathes into things, he gives it life. Paul is saying the Bible is breathed out by God. It has the ability to bring about life. The Bible itself, the word of God is living. It's active. It has the ability to give you life. So read it. Read all of it. The second thing the Bible says is this. It's profitable for us. That the Bible is profitable for us, which to me almost sounds like a little sacrilegious. But it's true. The Bible is profitable to us and for us. Look at the way Paul says this. All scriptures breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. The Bible's not just another book. As we read the Bible, it'll teach us. It'll bring reproof or rebuke or correction. It'll push back on the way that we live and act. It'll train us. It'll show us what it looks like to live like Jesus. The Bible is beneficial. It's productive for us. It's sufficient for us and we need it to grow and look like Jesus. Look at the way King David talks about this in God's words. Psalm 19 verses 7 through 9. He says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord or the teachings of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Six ways that King David describes what the word of God is. He gives it a name, six titles. But then I want to show you again. Look at this. Look at the blessings that he says come from the word of God, right? The law of the Lord, the Bible is perfect. It revives the soul. The Bible, the testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord, the Bible are right. They rejoice the heart. And he goes on, he says, the commandments of the Lord, the Bible is pure. It enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. The Bible endures forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The Bible is righteous altogether. The Bible is profitable for us. It's not just another book. As we read it, as we study it, it's doing something in us. It's molding us. It's shaping us. It's changing us. Many of you know that I've got a younger brother. His name is John, and he's the least good looking of the two of us. Just kidding. When John came to the States, I was coaching college soccer. We brought John over to play. We were down at Lee University. John was not a follower of Jesus. And like any great big brother, right, as John came over, I began sharing the truth of the gospel with him. I began to invite him to church, and he would come, and we'd worship. We were over at Creekside, and we'd worship, and he'd come to our house, and we'd pray before dinner, and we'd ask him, how's it going? We'd ask him how we can pray for him, and my wife, God love her, spent more time than anybody investing in this boy and, and trying to point him to the truth of who Jesus was, but it just felt like no matter what we did or what we said, there was no change. He just remained the same. And we would pray and pray and we would beg God to save him. And he'd come to church and he'd worship with us. And he'd cry during worship. And we'd say, John, what's going on? He'd say, nothing. 
I just like the song. I'm like, you don't just cry during songs that you like. He's like, yeah, you do. And he just keep moving on. And we did everything we thought we knew to do. We put him around other godly people, his friends at Lee, the guys on his team, his best friends, Christian guys, guys who love Jesus, who were in the same place of life, who were living out their faith, and it all seemed to have absolutely no impact on him whatsoever. He remained unchanged. Then one night, in his dorm room, by himself, he opened up a Bible and he read Romans 10.9, which says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And right there, sitting in a college dorm room by himself with nothing but the word of God in front of him, the breath of God entered into him and John immediately changed. He surrendered his life to follow Jesus. Because the Bible gives us life. The Bible will change us. It will transform us. The Bible has power. It's not just another book. The last thing I want you to write down is this, that the Bible is equipping us. The Bible is equipping us. Verse 16 and 17 say this. All scriptures read out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God or woman of God in your case may be complete, equipped for every good work. Timothy was called to pastor God's church. And what Paul is telling here is that the word of God, Timothy, is sufficient for you. The word of God is your greatest tool. There's nothing else that you need. The word of God will equip you. It will leave you complete for every good work. It's the best resource that you've got to support your ministry. You don't need anything else. The Bible is everything that you need. Now, most of you in the room are not called to be a pastor. Most of you in the room are not called to lead ministries, but what we've learned, if anything, from our pastor over the last two years is that every single one of us is called to be a disciple. And every single one of us in in the calling to be a disciple is called to be a disciple maker. The Bible is all that you need to make disciples. God's word will equip you to make disciples. God's word will equip you as a follower of Christ to make disciples in your workplace. Parents, God's word will equip you to make disciples in your home. Teenagers, God's word will equip you to make disciples in your classrooms, on your ball teams. God's word will equip you to make disciples wherever you go. What Paul is telling Timothy, and by default telling us too, is that the Bible is sufficient for what we need to minister to the lost and broken world that we live in. And the assumption is that you are ministering to the lost and broken world that we live in, that you're ministering to people who don't know Jesus. The Bible is not just another book. It's not outdated. It's not just a history book. The Bible is God's word to his people and it's sufficient for all of our needs. It not only gives us the information to teach people, but the Bible points us to the person and savior that is Jesus. Every page points to Jesus. Every page points to the truth of a savior who God sent here to earth to die on the cross, in our place, for our sins. And it is in faith in Jesus and Jesus alone that we are made right with God.
The Bible is breathed out by God. It's profitable for us. It's equipping us. The Bible gives us life. The Bible will give you life. You know, Tori talked a little about 2022 earlier and how it was a hard year for her. Maybe you sit in the same place this morning. Maybe 2022 was a hard year for you. Maybe you lost joy. Maybe you lost people. Maybe you lost purpose. The Bible will give you life. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. God, we thank you that whether we are six years old, 60 years old, God, the Bible is profitable for us. The Bible will change us and shape us and mold us and make us to look like you. So God, we ask that as we begin this new year, God, that we would do so in your word, that we would spend this year reading the truth of your word, that we would allow it to shape us, to change us, to mold us. Get it, we would have a commitment to studying your word, to learning it, to knowing it, to teaching it to others, to being a disciple maker. God, we pray that the, the people of Silverdale Baptist Church, that we would not be biblically ignorant, but that we would learn the Bible, we would know the Bible, that the Bible, we would live it, that we would be living examples of the truth contained in your word. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.